Hello, today is Friday, March the 17th, and you're listening to the Grains Matter Chatter podcast presented by North Fork Grains. I am your host, Dolores Foster, and today I have the pleasure of uh, being joined by Paul Sullivan from Sullivan Agro. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me again, Dolores. It's been great. We've had a little kind of mini-series here with you throughout uh, the late winter, and uh, I guess we're on topic number three, foliar fertilizer. So why don't you, we, before we started here, we were kind of talking about elevator pitches. Why don't you give me the elevator pitch for foliar fertilizer? So <clears throat> kind of the topic I, I sort of <clears throat> perceive of this is why should foliar fertilizers be part of your fertilizer plan? And uh, foliar fertilizers have been around for quite a while in, um, recent years we have had I guess <clears throat> more knowledge of um, nutrient uh, application of macronutrients where we do not have those nutrients limiting like say nitrogen potash and sulfur and those are nutrients that get in through the plant with water through mass flow and are essential nutrients that combine with carbon to create sugars in the plant and it grows. Um, but there's um, 17 essential nutrients. So mm-hmm. like anything, if there's something that's missing, then you may not be maximizing the potential of what's there. So <clears throat> you, you have nutrients as macros and then, well, you've got macros, you got secondaries, and then you got micros. And... It, it kind of it comes down to the amount that's needed. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash are considered macronutrients. We need a lot of them. The plant needs a lot of them. It's made up of them. Micronutrients like zinc, common ones, zinc, manganese, and boron, for example, plant doesn't need a lot of them. But if we do have a inadequate supply of them, especially at certain times, then it will affect the crop growth. And so from that standpoint, um, a number of these micronutrients are not needed in high amounts, but they're still needed. And a, 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 a micronutrient like manganese is very commonly deficient in soils and needs material. We cannot broadcast it and spread it and have it available to the plant because the soil ties it up so it doesn't get available to the plant through the mass flow or through the association. So the best most effective way to apply it to reduce a deficiency that might be in the plant is a foliar application of manganese. So for I guess us folks here in Eastern Ontario what does that timing look like for us? So that timing it, it, it kind of depends I guess on um, the season and doesn't it always <laughs> yeah it changes it's it, never it, a cut and dry formula is it <laughs> no that's that's right but you know we can put like potash on in the previous fall and it's going to be there to be available to the plant when it needs it like a soybean plant has a big draw once it flowers which is almost a year later <clears throat> with <clears throat> some of these micronutrients they're essential like a, a, a micronutrient like boron is yeah. essential for um, uh, what we consider a reproductive ability, but also essential for um, 
build a building block part of the whole structure of the plant so and it actually needs to sort of have its um, availability through the course of the season and, and to some extent it's not mobile in the plant so we have to to make sure we are not short of boron we technically a soybean plant should apply it so applied um, at the late vegetative stage and into the flowering stage so that's kind of one of the nutrients that's available or needs to be available over time. So I guess what uh, for foliar fertilizer, like is this a key practice that most farmers are doing now or is this something that's new or is this maybe something that people are getting more on board with now or, or I guess what are you seeing with your customer base, Paul? <clears throat> I would say it's not new um, because there has been a certain amount of foliar products available for the last number of years. Um, in some cases those were shotgun approaches, it's like put all 17 nutrients into a bag and solubilize <laughs> Hope one it. sticks kind hope, of deal? Yeah, hope one helps out. Yeah. Um, I think as we've gained a little more knowledge we now look at products that are uh, specific to say a couple of nutrients needs and so from that standpoint we've got a little more calculated approach the other thing that comes into play is that you know we all understand soil testing as an important part of a nutrient program mm -hmm. the next step in nutrient um, determination and assessment would be a tissue testing uh, program which Traditionally, we've used to diagnose deficiencies. Like it's like, oh, I see a plant that's yellow. It's like I'm going to do a tissue test to see what is out of norm. So, but we can also turn that into a part of a standard practice and to tissue test to sort of see where all the nutrients are. And um, <clears throat> I have to re <clears throat> recognize uh, <clears throat> in preparing for this, Chad Mangan from NuJag. A company that has done a lot of work in horticulture crops. For sure. Paydays, apples. They're bringing that technology now to um, corn, beans, and wheat. And um, some of the more commercial crops, I guess. The, the good crops. <laughs> the right? good crops. Yes. Yeah. Right. Our favorite crops. Our favorite crops. Yes. That's, that's right. the ones that we do our commerce in. So, but basically, the concepts that we figured used to apply to corn and beans really can apply and and so they've they, they've set up uh, a program called Nutra Analytics that they mastered in potatoes now they're using it in corn and in soybeans and in wheat so and and we can take samples they can analyze them we get those results back in a couple of days and we can determine oh uh, maybe we we were planning to put on manganese, but maybe we need manganese and phosphorus. So that way we are directed by what's there in the plant. It's almost like a feed analysis. And um, it, it's, it's increasing our ability to fine tune what might be limiting to the crop. So would you do this throughout the growing season or like when it, like, what does that look like, I guess? <clears throat> Say for a corn, crop um, we we would 
say ideally do it um, at the six to eight leaf stage. Okay. And ideally do it at the ear leaf stage or at the tassel stage. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and because, and, and there's some standards that exist <coughs> for the uh, plants, but the interesting thing with nutrient is that they are just looking at <coughs> absolute numbers. They're looking at interactions so that if a nutrient level is lower, well, maybe that's still okay in relation to, it's like potash and nitrogen have a very close relationship. Yeah. So plant takes up more potash than it does nitrogen, which is kind of scary. But it, so if we put on too much nitrogen, we can actually induce a potash deficiency. So it helps to track some of those relationships. <coughs> so. For sure. So, so the timing is always changing, but you got to get it right. And then uh, instead of just soil samples, now tissue samples. So who are, who are some of the folks that do some of those samples? Um... So does your team do them, Paul? The yeah, tissue we, samples? We, we, we tissue sample because we're in the field, so we will pull tissues and then we can use um, <clears throat> the commercial labs to test. We, <clears throat> we have been fortunate with Chad in the area that we can get him samples. He can send them away or we can directly For ship sure. them to him. We get the results back in a couple of days, so it's very just in time. And so it <clears throat> becomes something that's very in the heat of the season when everything's happening you can still get the information back in the past we've taken tissue samples we've encouraged our staff if they see something that's out of whack to take a tissue sample but then it gets in the corner of the office and sits there and then when things kind of slow down it's like oh we got a bunch of tissue samples to send away (laughs) and it's like they they're well dried but um the time like it's sort of historical information versus information that we can that we can use absolutely yeah The, the other interesting thing with some of these products is that they are coming out with <clears throat> combinations <clears throat> that have uh, what they call biomolecules, biologicals. Yeah. And there's a lot of interest in biologicals now, and they, they should we should sort of realize that these are nutrients. They're not biologicals. They're not like nitrogen biologicals that are being um, brought to the market, um, and really. A, <clears throat> Nitrogen biological, the, the most common one is an inoculant that we put on soybeans like that. That's not new, right. but it's being used differently now. Now we're pl- applying it foliar and things like that. But mm-hmm. certainly some of the um, products now have the nutrients, but they have also some um, biomolecule properties that basically are stress mitigation. And <clears throat> for example, um, some of these prop products are extracted from plants like geraniums. Yeah. Really cool product that has just been introduced this year is called Emboss. It's an extract out of a geranium plant mm-hmm. that Trent University identified and was purchased by Nutra Ag. And now they have a product that can be applied with the seed liquid fertilizer. 10 mils per acre and have found significant 
improvement in, in <coughs> stress mitigation on the plant early on and um, it, it's it's <coughs> it, it's it's a kind of an exciting area for basically looking at reducing stress everything we do in crop management is to reduce stress yeah and these biological products impact a bunch of the growing in the plants the enzymes the sort of <coughs> um, good enzymes and bad enzymes like crop gets under stress it'll produce ethylene which is a shutdown mm -hmm. enzyme keeps the plant from doing that so all of a sudden the plant can get through a time period and then maybe you get a rain yeah things grow ahead so uh, it's <clears throat> it so so we're <clears throat> we're getting into a an opportunity now that we're not just addressing nutrients but we will be addressing nutrients with enhancing products as well and uh, it's kind of pretty cool that's awesome so I think one of the things I know for busy farmers that are always, I guess, things are always new, new technologies always coming out and, and biologicals and, and stuff like that. How easy is it to add to your current, I guess, workflow? Like, is it another pass in the field? Or is this something that is very easy to adapt to your, I guess, your current plan? For the most part, it uh, the reality is that you're only going to go over the field so many times but a typical soybean field I'm sure for for your farm and for our customers is that you're likely going over that field maybe four times soybean field four times with <clears throat> the basic inputs like a herbicide and a fungicide or a couple fungicides a couple passes with herbicides so we can tank mix these products with those passes and then instead of having it as a separate pass you <coughs> get the value of uh, the product of the, it's controlling disease but it's also enhancing the nutrient status that's there so that is the practical kind of using of them that it's not as if you likely are going to have to go in a fifth and sixth time uh, even some of these products we can put on when we're applying a fungicide at tassel time for uh, corn <coughs> to help improve yield, reduce disease, yeah, those sort of things. And we did that last year with uh, with a, a couple farms, and it seemed to in, in, enhance the the corn crop um, and that. So, and you know, like I, I guess ideally we we would say evaluate some of these products but I think from our standpoint we know there's been a lot of research done on them a lot of like they're looked at initially in the lab and then they're moved to a greenhouse and then they're moved to the field for sure uh, they work uh, the thing that as an agronomist and support to my customers we got to help our customers position them to where they're going to work the best Absolutely. and it's no different than anything else it's like where's where are you going to get the best ROI on them and that <clears throat> whereas in the past I think that's been the <clears throat> missing link with some of these products is that um, we just put them on everything and yeah. figured they were going to do something. And at the end of the day, um, I think we're a little smarter than that now and, and kind of can step back, do some tissue analysis, do, and, and, and it may not be for this year, but for like we, <clears throat> we've known for many years we have manganese deficiency in our cereals and in our, our soybeans. So we have really wanted our customers to apply a 
fully manganese product and and that hasn't happened just because <clears throat> they've got lots of other things to do and maybe weren't in the field as much as they are now now it becomes something that's more likely to happen because we're trying to control disease and soybeans um, and so as such we we, we're driven initially by white mold control or other disease control. Well, we can we can get that sort of opportunity. And, and the thing is, is that it's not as if we're growing 40 bushel beans anymore. Last year, I think the the average um, for um, Carleton County was 57 bushels, which means there was a, a lot of farms that had averages into the 60s. And so you just don't slap a bean crop in the ground and, and get... 60 bushels without covering off some of the stresses over the year that's there, including micronutrients. For sure. Well, that sounds good, Paul. I I think I've run out of questions unless there's something I else. I, I think I, I've covered what I need to cover off. Well, so. there you go. Well, thank you very much for joining us again on the podcast. and uh, Sure, sure miss, miss having Jeff Yes. today. but I do too. He didn't He's not here to give you a hard question today, unfortunately. So he he isn't. Um, <clears throat> so that's a little disappointing, but um, I'll make sure next time he's here. He'll have to have two hard questions. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, Jeffrey, it's nice of you to join us for a market update. Why don't we? Uh, yeah, get sorry, into that. I missed talking with Paul there, but <laughs> all good. Next time. It was quite the week here in the markets. Uh, what uh, what happened this week? Oh, lots of red. A little bit of positive. Lots of red, but prices basically down a little bit. Corn was corn was well. Corn was up just a couple dollars on the nearby, but flat for this harvest. Uh, soybeans were the big losers for the week, like down twenty five to thirty dollars spot and harvest. Wheat was down a couple dollars, up to five dollars all around. So, they were down big, and then they came back up. Well, today, today was the right? big day. You know, yeah. like everything was positive today. Corn was up thirteen cents. Soybeans ten. Wheat fifteen. Does highs thirty. <clears throat> but today was a nice positive day. But for the week, things weren't all rosy. Though the market is looking at lots of things right now. We can go any one day and harp on whatever, but you know, we got a list here of what about eight things. Uh, the banking crisis this last week. That's that's a negative for overall e the economy, so it's a negative for everything. For sure, it's and I think that for, happened two weekends ago now. Well, that happened like into the previous week, but even this week. Yeah, and it's carrying so it's, over. It's carrying over. Part of that was the U.S. still had higher interest rates this week. Yeah. And it wasn't just the U.S., other central banks have increased them too. And the U.S. talking about another interest rate increase in May. And now people are saying, oh, they're going to decrease rates later in the year. But the U.S. Federal Reserve doesn't say that. That's just what market people are saying. So that's a big neg negative. African swine flu, this swine fever. One. We haven't talked about this one recently. So is this back in the news? Or? It's back in the news. On Monday, the U.S., and I wrote about this in one of the blogs this week, the U.S. agricultural attache in China says they're going to, in, China's going to increase their soybean imports to like 97.5 million tons this year. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the same day, China, somebody in China announces about African swine fever. <laughs> Don't know who it is, where it came from. By the end of the week here, 
it's being reported in their uh, mainstream reports that it's in uh, north northern China, and that's where about 10% of their hog herd is. And that's not good for exports, which obviously is not good for our prices. Well, it's not good for consumption in China of feedstocks of corn, wheat, yeah. and soybeans. And so it's a negative for that. They don't need to import as much. Chinese soybean prices in China have fell on their exchange like nine days in a row or something. It's kind of like they had the news before it got reported to everybody else this week. So, but that's a potential big, big negative. <coughs> There's uh, the harvest in Brazil is coming along well. Uh, they've had some rains this week, blah, blah. But they're still talking big numbers in Brazil, maybe bigger numbers. You know, a lot of the talk was 151, 152 million tons of soybeans. Now it's maybe it's 155, some people are saying. Mm. So big numbers in Brazil. Uh, the Black Sea Trade Agreement was renewed between Ukraine and Russia. I know Ukraine there was a bunch of discussion. Is it 60 days or is it 120 days? But and that's not out yet. And that's not out yet. But the reality is it's going to be whenever Russia decides it's over, isn't it? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Russia says 60. Ukraine says 120. And uh, I read one interesting thing. They say they don't sit in the same room when they trade when they right negotiate this. Right. Interesting. Supposedly, Russia talks to Turkey, uh, Ukraine talks to the UN officials, and the UN officials and Turkey officials talk together. Really? That's that's what I read. I can imagine a lot of information gets missed. Oh, it in just that trail <laughs> seems like a bunch of baloney. Like how they <laughs> even how they could have a trade agreement when they're at war. Absolutely. But. Uh, and then I read this week how Russia was exporting wheat. Two things about Russia this week. They're exporting wheat at, wheat at such low prices because they want to get it out. They want to get it out. It's kind of like there's five boats in the Black Sea and they're going to take all five of them. So they put their price really low. And then today I read Russian exports might be decreased going forward to preserve domestic stocks. So that's so, pretty contradictory. Oh, totally contradictory. <laughs> so remember what we said about China, and now we say it about Russia. The market will trade with information coming out of those countries, but you can't you believe can't it. You can't trust them. <laughs> so that's part right there on Russia. Another negative for the markets, uh, for soybean oil and that, is an oversupply of vegetable oils in the world market. They're thinking there's going to be big production across the board this year. And even current rains in Argentina. They'll they'll say, oh, current rains and big rains in Argentina. Then they'll say, but it's probably too late for the crops. But it's still a negative for the markets because maybe it isn't too late. Yeah, they have nobody's pegged the final number in Argentina crops Absolutely. this year. So there's lots of things for the market to look at, for everybody to look at in the markets. The reality is the trend is still down. Oh, I haven't even talked about managed money selling so much, liquidating so much of their position. They have been liquidating big like time crazy. the last two yeah. weeks. It's finally the uh, CFTC reports in the states are up to date now. Yeah. So that's taken a lot of that questions out of where they've been. But once they've got up to date, they realize, oh, they've been liquidating. That's been hurting things. Just back to the rains in Argentina, just quickly too, as well. Every time I hear this, like. Uh, total crop loss whatever in Argentina I think of like for us here for us to have a total crop loss for all of Ontario that's pretty substantial so you know there's going to be some crop maybe not be will be the best crop but you know there's still going to be some sort of Argentina Argentina is pretty long 
look on a map. They're pretty long. Like they're it's, they're planting. They're yeah. like the states. They're planting in one area and harvesting in the other area. Yeah. You know. So it's just about like that. So yeah. it, of course, it's it's not all bad. It's not not all good. Yeah. It's is what it is. <clears throat> so going forward, the trend still is down, and that's the reality. And anybody wants to talk, give us a call next week. We can go dig deeper into any of these things. I feel like I could go on forever on what's happening in the markets right now. So, Well, we'll cut you off there, Jeffrey. I so agree. We so. don't make this podcast way too long, but thank you very much for uh, tuning in and hope everyone has a great weekend. And we'll talk to you next we'll week. We'll talk to everybody next week. Uh, I might be without Dolores next week, though. You so. might be. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye.